A special committee investigating Illinois House Speaker Madigan's potential role in the ComEd bribery scandal ended up pretty much exactly where it started, at a stalemate along partisan lines. Crane's political columnist Greg Hines joins the podcast today with more on that and on a key election race that's been flying under the radar that he says is worth keeping an eye on. Uh, the races in West Central Illinois where there, an incumbent Democrat, Tom Kilbride, is up for retention. If he goes, if he were to lose his seat, and that district has become a little more Republican through the years, at which point they'd have a majority of the state Supreme Court. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. It's Wednesday, September 30th. When it comes to a professional like your doctor or lawyer, you want someone who knows you well. Wintrust believes you should have the same relationship with your banker, someone you can call directly and know they'll understand your concerns. Thousands of local business owners called their Wintrust banker when they needed Paycheck Protection Program loans. They called, Wintrust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm joined now by Crane's political columnist, Greg Hines, here to, uh, well, we haven't checked in in a while, Greg, but last we spoke, we were talking a bit about Illinois House Speaker Mike Madigan. What is the latest? What's going on with him right now? Well, the latest is that uh, Springfield Republicans have played an interesting card uh, using a little-known rule. Uh, they uh, demanded and got formation of a special investigating committee to uh, consider uh, disciplining him, uh, meaning uh, throwing him out potentially as speaker. Uh, but uh, Madigan is uh, is balking, and the committee is uh, divided three to three, which means there's three Democrats and three Republicans. And as long as Madigan's Democrats stick with them, the committee essentially will be, will be neutered. It won't be able to do much. So as you note in your column about this, the investigation pretty much ended after a full day. You know, it pretty much ended exactly where it began with, with nothing happening. So what, what happens next? Well, the, the, the committee held, held a big meeting on, on Tuesday uh, in which they got uh, two things happen. One is they got a Commonwealth Medicine Executive, their chief compliance officer, to testify about the uh, uh, deferred prosecution agreement in which Edison has admitted to uh, passing bribes uh, to uh, associates of, of, of Madigan with the intent to uh, reward him or uh, or uh, influence him to pass legislation helpful to, to Edison, like raising your rates. So, uh, the problem, though, uh, from their perspective, is that Madigan himself has not been accused of anything, and there's been no direct proof saying that, well, he knew that his associates, even very close associates, were out uh, accepting bribes uh, in exchange for attempting to uh, to influence him. And the Edison official who testified wouldn't go any further than that. Uh, I don't blame him. Uh, but So you still have to have a little connecting of the dots, and Madigan says there's no dots to be connected. So that's that. The other thing that happened is probably more interesting in a way. The Republicans want to subpoena these witnesses who the, the folks who are named in the federal deferred prosecution agreement who would know for sure, well, oh, gee, why did you go out and, and tell Edison that uh, if you hire these these five guys, if you get a contract at this company, uh, you'll get what you want out of the speaker. Did you talk to the speaker about it? From top to bottom, they've all refused to testify, as has Mr. Madigan. So the Republicans want to subpoena them. 
But the chairman of the, of the committee, Chris Welch, who is a Democrat, threw up a whole bunch of procedural objections to that and finally said, I'm not even going to entertain your motion. We're not even going to vote on it. That left the Republicans steaming, but uh, there's two purposes here. Uh, one is the legal objective the Republicans have to uh, uh, to try to get Madigan enough trouble if they can get rid of him as speaker. The other is a political objective, and that's to attract media attention so that people like you and I write about this and broadcast about it. And in that, they're kind of successful. <laughs> I mean, a story saying that Democrats balk at subpoena these key witnesses is not a terribly flattering story for Madigan. It doesn't help. Whether it's going to make a difference in the elections, uh, who knows? There's a lot of a lot of fur flying around this time. But uh, Democrats charge not without uh, without merit that the Republicans here are not don't have to just uh, a legal objective, but a political objective. And so what is the next milestone to keep our eye on here with this situation? Well, uh, Mr. Welch said that, well, maybe it's a little early. You know, we haven't seen the subpoenas. We haven't considered this. And maybe if you come back with a plan later, we'll talk about it. I would be stunned if anybody actually gets subpoenaed. Uh, And I would be more than stunned if it happened before the election on November 3rd. The Republicans are helped a little bit that one of Edison's lobbyists earlier on Tuesday uh, pled guilty to uh, to engaging in bribery conspiracy. So they may have another card or two to play, but uh, like I said, from the moment, their, their big objective here appears to keep this in the news, and I'm sure they're going to – they're capable. I'm sure they're going to do their best. So switching gears a bit, a Supreme Court race that is perhaps kind of flying under the radar a bit, but I think worth conversation. Talk to me about what's going on in the state Supreme Court. Oh, it is. It is definitely flying into the radar. I mean, nobody's over the presidency and the graduate income tax or whatever. Nobody's paying attention to the Supreme Court race, but the politicians are. Uh, the race is in West Central Illinois, where an incumbent Democrat, Tom Kilbride, is up for retention. If he goes, if he were to lose his seat, it would be temporarily filled with an appointment. But at the next election, there'd have to be a new vote for a new person. And that district has become a little more Republican through the years, which means that potentially if the Republicans can get rid of him now and they, they'd be favored to win the, win the, the election, uh, at which point they'd have a majority of the state Supreme Court, even though everything else in, 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 in Illinois government is run by the Democrats. So the Democrats know that, so they're piling a lot of money in here. The trial lawyers on one side, uh, Dickie Line, the, the, uh, the Wisconsin conservative the donor, uh, on the other side. Uh, it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars of range now. I wouldn't be surprised if it hits the millions of dollars before it's just all over. Who controls the court is a really big deal in Illinois politics. It won't affect remap, even if he's thrown off the bench. Uh, the temporary appointment would probably be a Democrat, but it could affect all kinds of things. Uh, tort law, for instance, which is a big deal in the business community, uh, medical malpractice suits, whatever. So both sides are fighting pretty hard here. And what does support look like for Kilbride right now? I mean, generally, does he does he have a shot at staying, or is it likely that he will go? Well, he won with a few points to spare last time, but you need 60% uh, to hang out of the job. Uh, that's a high threshold to, to hit in an area that's becoming more Republican, particularly with the presidential race uh, and uh, the graduate income tax really polarizing people. So the Republicans are kind of figuring that, well, if they... Uh, really roll their pluses and you know, get, their, get the base out uh, that they have a shot at this. And I think they do. Uh, the fact that Kilbride has contributed 100000 bucks to his own campaign tells you he's a little bit worried, too. Mm, yeah, indeed. All right. Well, we will always, as ever, we will keep turning to you for the latest. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat today, Greg. My pleasure. 
Coming up, restaurant reservation platform Talk offers free service to Chicago restaurants in low-income areas and can help with contact tracing. We'll talk about that and much more right after this. This is Crane's Daily Gist. Today's top stories are next. Businesses looking for help in navigating the COVID-19 crisis should check out Small Business Lifeline, a new weekly podcast from Cranes. Every Thursday, the free Small Business Lifeline will offer expert advice and information on accessing needed resources during the crisis. Listen to Small Business Lifeline at chicagobusiness.com slash SBL. A clout-heavy business group that represents the state's biggest corporations opposes Governor J.B. Pritzker's proposed graduated income tax amendment. In a statement, the Civic Committee of the Commercial Club said that while it could back a graduated income tax as part of a comprehensive shared sacrifice solution to the state's economic woes, now isn't the time. The group said, quote, based on the state's decades-long history of fiscal mismanagement, the graduated income tax amendment, if passed, all but promises that Illinois will not address its long-term financial challenges. Continuing by saying, the result will be further loss of jobs and people, long-term cuts in critical services, a shrinking tax base burdened with growing debt, and a guarantee that Illinois will continue to have the worst credit rating of any state. The organization said it could support a graduated income tax as part of a comprehensive plan. However, absent such a plan, the state would, quote, remain stuck in a financial rut. And the move by the big business group drew immediate criticism from a Pritzker committee that leads the campaign to approve the amendment, vote yes for fairness. In a statement, the committee said, it's no surprise that an organization of the wealthiest people in our state who have benefited from avoiding paying their fair share for 50 years is voicing their opposition to the fair tax. Continuing by saying, instead of standing up for working people, the Civic Committee has repeatedly advocated for increasing the flat tax by 20% and implementing a retirement tax because they prefer to put the burden on our lower and middle income families and seniors. In order to pass, the graduated tax referendum needs either a 60% vote of those who cast ballots on the matter or a majority of those who vote on any matter on the ballot, including the presidency. Find more detail on this story as well as on many others at chicagobusiness.com. Digital media company Conversant has put its Loop HQ on the sublease market, joining other downtown companies looking to pare down real estate amid COVID-19. Adding to a record-breaking amount of available downtown space on the secondary market, the company's offering up its entire more than 100,000-square-foot office on North Wacker, according to a flyer from Cushman and Wakefield. And the listing for the top four floors of the building is the second biggest chunk of downtown office space to hit the sublease market since the onset of the the pandemic in March, trailing only Groupon's 150,000-square-foot offering on Chicago Avenue. That according to CoStar Group. According to research from brokerage CBRE, not including Conversant's office, 4.4 million square feet of sublease space was up for grabs in the Central Business District as of September 22nd. And that's up from 60% since the beginning of the year. Crane's commercial real estate reporter Danny Ecker is covering the story and has more. This wave of available space for sublease just keeps getting bigger. And of course, it'll be more interesting to see whether some companies start to actually lease it once there's a vaccine and some sense of normalcy or office planning gets back on track. But for now, it just looks like a great time to be on the hunt for office space. You have a lot of options. And on the other hand, it's a very concerning period for landlords, especially because 42% of the sublease space available now is from tech companies. Those are the ones driving a lot of the demand downtown over the past couple of years. 
Um, the eye-popping stat to me is that offices available for sublease now make up 3% of all downtown office inventory. CBRE says that's a higher share than at any period in the last 15 years, and that's saying something considering there's a lot more office space in the Central Business District today than there was back then. Workers dismissed by bankrupt Art Van Furniture are demanding that private equity owner Thomas H. Lee Partners pay them back money they contributed to their own flexible spending accounts that was lost in the chain's liquidation. The workers forfeited as much as $525 each when they lost access to cash in their flexible savings and healthcare savings accounts as part of the retailer's liquidation. That, according to a copy of a letter to T.H. Lee. And it's the latest instance of workers pushing for better treatment in retail bankruptcy which has been forcing lenders and private equity owners to rethink their assumptions about the costs of dismantling a company. Michigan-based Art Van went bankrupt in March, putting about 4,500 people out of work. Including locations in northwest Indiana, Art Van, which operated more than 300 stores prior to the bankruptcy filing, had 24 furniture and mattress stores in the Chicago area. T.H. Lee created a $1 million hardship fund following worker protests over the earnings and benefits that they lost in the bankruptcy, but the workers' group said the payment amounts to about 400 bucks a person and called it woefully inadequate. The workers instead asked for $1,500 each to cover three months of out-of-pocket health insurance coverage so that they could weather the coronavirus pandemic, plus the return of any unused funds in their flexible spending accounts, as well as the removal of a cap that excludes anyone who earned more than $99,000 a year. In the latest letter, which was signed by a committee of workers organized through the labor advocacy group United for Respect, the workers said former employees are facing astronomical hospital bills, unable to afford prescriptions, surviving a pandemic as immune compromised, and recovering from contracting COVID, among many other circumstances. The workers' group said T.H. Lee sent a letter this month detailing the establishment of the Art Van Employee COVID-19 Short-Term Disaster Relief Fund. And in addition to the hardship payment, it would also match an additional $1 million of donations from other parties and said that it's raised 50000 so far pushing the total to be distributed to 1.1 million. New Jersey in January became the first state to require severance payouts for workers at bankrupt companies. The Stop Wall Street Looting Act introduced by Senator Elizabeth Warren last year would also elevate severance claims in bankruptcy and make private equity owners responsible for debt their portfolio companies incur. Restaurant reservation platform company Talk is planning to offer up its technology for free for a while to bars and restaurants in Chicago's low-income communities. Restaurants can use the platform, which is normally about 100 bucks a month, for reservations, pickup, and delivery orders, and that kind of thing. The system will also have diners give their name and phone number when they make a reservation for contact tracing purposes if needed later. And Talk co-founder and former Google engineer Brian Fitzpatrick said that feature is the key of the offering for dining in. And the Timing tracks pretty well, too. The city said Monday that starting on October 1st, restaurants can increase indoor dining capacity from 25% up to 40%. And restaurants and bars in parts of the city that are below 60% of the area median income will be able to use Talk's platform for free for six months. The company's partnering with the city on the initiative, which was also announced on Monday. Talk was co-founded by Alinea's Nick Kokonis, and it was launched in 2014, though at the time focusing mostly on reservations at high-end restaurants. It, like just just about everything else, pivoted in March, launching an online ordering platform called talk to go to help all kinds of restaurants switch to carry out amid the pandemic.
And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to our guest today, Crane's political columnist, Greg Hines. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.